in the sixth chapter of Job, we got down to verse 14. In chapter 6 and 7 is Job's answer to Eliphaz, the one that had accused him of a lot of things that he wasn't guilty of. And he's supposed to be a good friend. And in verse 14, which we just studied last week in our last lesson, it says, To him that is afflicted, pity should be showed from his friend. But evidently he wasn't showing him much pity. But he forsaketh the fear of the Almighty. Evidently he didn't have any sympathy for Job and kindness. Instead, he just had accusations. And you know, when you're in trouble, when you're hurting, when you're, especially as Job, lost everything he had, his family, his possessions, uh, he was afflicted from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet with sores, and uh, he sat in an ash heap, despair, and in distress, and then he couldn't even get a little rise of sympathy out of his friends. It's pretty bad, isn't it? Verse 15 is where we pick up. This is continuation of Job's answer to Eliphaz. It says, My brethren have dealt deceitfully as a brook. He's talking not only about uh, uh, these, uh, this particular person, Eliphaz, but the others evidently were sitting there voicing their approval of everything that each one of them said. So he says, My brethren have dealt deceitfully as a brook, and as the streams of brook they pass away. And he's talking about the brooks that, and the streams that come down, of which are blackish by reason of the ice, and wherein the snow is hid. What time they wax warm, they vanish. When it is hot, they are consumed out of their place. The paths of their way are turned aside. This is they make trenches as they overflow and they go in a new direction. They go, get out of their natural course, these streams. They go to nothing and perish. The troops of Tema looked, and the companies of Sheba waited for them. They, they were confounded because they had hope. They came thither and were ashamed. For now are ye nothing. You see my casting down and are afraid. Now he says that you're, you're to me just like those deceitful torrents are to the caravans that wait, the, the troops of Tema and the company, companies of Sheba that wait for their... Uh, refreshment in their water and their supply from these deceitful torrents that come down and they're gone. Sometimes they're blacked over with ice. Uh, they, you know how snow, when it gets, when it first comes, it's clean and pretty, isn't it? In a little while, it's just dirty. And then when it melts, it's gone away. And he likens his comfort of these friends to these deceitful torrents that come down. He says, you're just like them. As you read it in that light, think of it. In verse 16, which are blackish by reason of eyes, and wherein the snow is hid. What time they wax warm, they vanish, they're gone. When it is hot, they are consumed out of their place. The paths of their way are turned aside. In other words, they get out of their courses. They go to nothing and perish. The water and the refreshment that they expected, these, uh, in verse 19, the troops of Tema and the companies of Sheba, these caravans that waited for uh, help from the streams. They waited for them and they were confounded because they had hoped. And they came thither and were ashamed. Another disappointed because it brought nothing. 
For now ye are nothing. You see my casting down and are afraid. In other words, you're terrified by looking upon me. When you see the condition I'm in myself. When you see my casting down into what misery I'm in, then you're so afraid uh, of such a situation as I'm faced with. And yet you bring me no refreshment and no help. Did I say, bring unto me or give a reward for me of your substance? Job says, did I ask for your help? Did I ask you for gifts? Did I ask for such help as you're trying to give? He certainly didn't ask for their advice in this situation because they were not giving very good advice, were they? He says, uh, did I say bring unto me or give a reward for me of your substance? Or deliver me from the enemy's hand? Or redeem me from the hand of the mighty? He knew that they couldn't do what Job needed done. He knew that only God could answer his situation. You know, sometimes you're in such a situation that family and friends and anyone of the human realm, any human help is really helpless. You need divine help. And uh, that's what Job really needed. Verse 24, he says, Teach me and I will hold my tongue and cause me to understand wherein I've erred. In other words, just teach me the truth and truth and cause me to understand it. Show, show me my sin. Really get to the bottom of this that you're trying to accuse me of. Remember all along, if you look back at old Eliphaz's uh, his, uh, accusation against Job, he says uh, in chapter 4, verse 7, Remember, I pray thee, whoever perished being innocent or where were the righteous cut off, even as I have seen, they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. He says, Job, you're just reaping what you've sown. Isn't it a terrible thing when you're trying to live a Christian life and someone comes along and says, you're reaping what, and affliction comes, you're just reaping what you've sown. Suppose they had told that to Noah when he was an outcast among the multitudes. Suppose they had told it to Abraham as he sojourned away from the land of idols. Suppose they'd have told that to, to Abel as he tried to serve God and he was killed and murdered by his brother Cain. Suppose they'd have told that to David when David was fleeing from Saul and David spared Saul's life. Suppose they'd have told it to Joseph as he was cast in prison because he wouldn't uh, uh, commit uh, illicit sex with uh, his boss's wife as she laid hold upon him. And he left his garments and fled and thus was put in prison. You see, all these kinds of things, accusations. Suppose they'd have told that to Paul when he was in prison. said, Paul, you're getting what you deserve. Nobody ever deserved to go to prison but what didn't deserve it. And they were telling it to Job. He says, teach me and I will hold my tongue and cause me to understand wherein I've erred. Look in verse 25. You have chapter 6 of Job, verse 25. How forcible are right words. But what doth your arguing, arguing reprove? If your words were right, your words have perverted the judgment against me. And the words that you presented to me are as an argument. They're not as consoling. They haven't figured out my case, my situation. Look at this in verse 26. Do you imagine to reprove 
to reprove words and the speeches of one that is desperate, which are as wind. They had plenty of words, but they didn't know what Job's uh, situation was. And their conclusion, especially Eliphaz, his conclusion of Job proved not a thing. He's saying, do you think you found out my wickedness, my sin? Do you think you figured, figured me out? And remember, he's the voice of experience that we're talking about. The voice of experience, Eliphaz is. In verse uh, 27, he says, Yea, ye overwhelm the fatherless, and ye dig a pit for your friend. In other words, they treated him just like they would treat an orphan. He was really classified as an orphan. He was kind of forsaken of everyone. And he says, and you dig a pit for your friend. Instead of trying to lift him out of his depression and out of his condition and say, Job, we know that, that God is still with you. And even in your affliction, he's going to see you through. That's the kind of prayer they needed and the kind of words that he needed. Instead of saying that, Job... You must be getting what you deserve. God never punished anyone if it was not unrighteous. So you certainly must be unrighteous. That's the way it is, you know. This is the way I've seen it all time. And it has to be that way. Judgmental, isn't it? Very judgmental because of a person's condition. Don't ever judge people by the outward appearances. Because you don't know what they're going through. And Job... If you remember, God's argument for Job against Satan was that he's perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth or shuns evil. This is what God said to to Satan when he would accuse Job and try to to, uh, afflict him. And God permitted Satan to only go so far. But he says, now uh, in verse 27, Yea, ye overwhelm the fatherless. And you dig a pit for your friend. He was supposed to be their friend. And especially here Eliphaz he's addressing. Now therefore be content. Look upon me. For it is evident unto you if I lie. In other words, if I'm not telling the truth, it ought to be very evident. He says, look upon me. Just uh, think the situation through. Can you really find my guilt? Have you found me wrong in it? Do you think you found out my wickedness and my sin? And then look down in verse 29. He says, return, I pray you. In other words, think this thing over again. Uh, let, let, not, let it not be iniquity. Yea, return again. My righteousness is in it. In other words, in this whole matter, you know that you cannot accuse me. And if your accusations come, they're false. Job maintained his integrity before them. He says, is there iniquity in my tongue? Am I lying to you? Am I, am I a liar? Cannot my taste uh, discern perverse things? You think that I'm so naive that I don't understand what you're doing? You know, if there's anything that disturbs me, it's when people think that sometimes, especially preachers, they think they're so naive they don't understand what's going on. Randy and I run across that every day. You know, they just think they're pulling the wool over your eyes. You just sit back and you think, you know, well, I wonder if they really think that, that I'm that dumb. But there's a lot of people that have that appearance. Job says, do you really think I don't know what's going on? 
look what he said. He said, is there, is there iniquity in my tongue? In other words, am I telling a bald-faced lie? Am I just lying to you about uh, trying to be righteous and holy and godly? Am I uh, lying about that? Am I just really the biggest sinner on earth and I'm telling you uh, that I'm trying to live right? And he says, cannot my taste discern perverse things? Cannot I understand? Don't, don't I understand what's going on? Do you think that I don't read between the lines? And he continues in chapter 7, Is there not a appointed time to man upon the earth? Are not his days also like the days of an hireling? And he says in verse 2, As a servant earnestly desireth the shadow, or the night, the night of this world, uh, and as an hireling looketh for the reward of his work, you know, a servant wants to see the evening come so that he can rest. And the word shadow means night or from uh, night from this world. And it says, uh, so am I made to possess months of vanity and wearisome nights are appointed to me. It's good to rest from the work of the day, isn't it? But he says, there's no relief for me. Now, he, he, he registers his complaint. He continues registering his complaint before not only Eliphaz, but now as we progress, you'll find that he registers his uh, uh, feelings before the Lord. And he says in verse 3, So am I made to possess months of vanity, and wearisome nights are appointed to me. When I lie down, I say, When shall I arise, and the night be gone? And I am full of tossings to and fro unto the dawning of the day. In other words, his night was so long, he just wanted day to come. When shall I rise? When is it going to be morning? Have you ever spent a sleepless night, a worrisome night, uh, fretting and worrying about someone or something? And you just say, I wonder when, when the daylight's going to come. Sometimes when we're sick, we do that. Well, Job certainly was sick, wasn't he? You ever been in the hospital bed and thinking morning would never come? I have. Many of you have. Tell you that night, the Bible says, weeping may endure for the night, but joy cometh in the morning. And that's true in many senses of the word. Not only physically, but we know it's going to be true when the night of this world is past and the sorrow of this world is past and the morning of Christ's coming comes. You know, the way things are shaping up in the world, it wouldn't bother me if he'd come right now, would it, you? It really wouldn't. But the thing about it is, he will come when it, the time is for him to come. And then he'll set things right. But uh, this world is getting more wicked all the time. And fewer of our leaders have any of the answers. Seems like they're always trying to figure out the answers. And, and I don't know of any of them that really have them. They argue between the two le lesser of two evils nowadays instead of what is really good. That's about all they can come up with. They'll just say, which one of these two things is the best? But anyway, he says, when I lie down, I say, when shall I rise and the night be gone? And I am full of tossings to and fro unto the dawning of the day. My flesh is clothed with, with worms and clots of dust. My skin is broken and become loathsome. And if you were to really go into detail, you'd find that it's not, it's probably very literally true, the disease of, and I won't describe it because it's too horrible, of Job at this particular time. 
He says, my days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. His nights are long and his days are short. Swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. Because all he can look forward to is another night of sorrow, isn't it? And disturbance. Oh, remember that my life is wind. Mine eye shall uh, no more see good. I don't know if I'll ever see any good out of this life again. To see and to enjoy it. To see good. To enjoy life. Job says, I certainly am not enjoying life the way I am. Most of the time when there's deep affliction or sorrow comes into our lives, we, we're not really happy about it. Though the Bible tells us that we should rejoice in tribulations, very few of us have learned to do that. But we should. Because it says tribulation worketh patience. And it did for Job too. And James says you've seen the suffering of Job. You've, you've seen the patience of Job. And you've seen the end of the Lord, what God did for him in the long run. If he... In verse uh, 8, he says, The eye of him that has seen me shall see me no more. Thine eyes are upon me. I am not. In other words, I, can't, I can live no longer like I am. As the cloud is consumed and vanished away, so he that goeth down to the grave shall come up no more. You know, he thinks that death is the only answer to his problem. There'll be a day that men will cry to die. Job did in his, uh, well, depression and in his uh, condition that he was in. Just thought, well, it'd be better for me to die than to live. I wish I'd never been born, really. He said that two or three times. And he'll say it again, yeah. Uh, yet in another answer here. But he says in verse... Uh, Ten, he shall return no more to his house, neither shall his place know him any more. Therefore, I will not refrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Job justifies his complaining, doesn't he? He says, if a fellow's in the situation I'm in, it's all right to complain a little bit. But God says, call upon me in the day of trouble, doesn't he? How about I will trust and I will pray instead of I will complain? In the New Testament, the Bible says, Let all the things do with, be done without murmuring or complaining, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. And I know that if any of us were going through the thing, same things that Job was going through, we'd probably be complaining too. But the, the greater testimony of a Christian is to undergo trouble and affliction without complaint. And when you find a person that can do that, he's of a rare specimen, isn't he? That can do that. All right, look at this. He says, I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I a sea or a whale that thou settest to watch over me? You know, the sea, well, the whale in the sea... Uh, you know, if it were to be let loose, or the sea itself is a danger to society. And he says, am I like something that needs to be watched over that's a danger to all that are round about me? Verse 13, When I say my bed shall comfort me, my couch shall ease my complaint, then thou scarest me with dreams and terrifiest me through visions. Job was not only afflicted bodily, but mentally. He was having nightmares. So that he couldn't put up with 
the way he was sleeping. He couldn't rest at night physically. He couldn't rest at night mentally. He was in a bad case, wasn't he? So that my soul chooseth strangling and death rather than life. Job was really low, wasn't he? He says, I loathe it. I would not live always. I don't want to live like this. He had far more to complain about than, you remember old Elijah said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But Elijah was just being chased by Jezebel, wasn't he? He wasn't afflicted from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. And so Elijah could finally escape that, and yet Elijah said it's better for me to die than to live. But Job says, I loathe it, I would not live all way. I don't want to live like this. Let me alone, for my days are vanity. We don't know if he's wanting Eliphaz to let him alone, or it seems that his complaints were registering before God, too. What would happen to us if God would let us alone? We don't know what we ask if we ask God to let us alone. In the book of Hosea, let me give you a reference. Hosea chapter, I think it's 4. 4 and verse 17. Let's read verse 16. It says, For Israel slideth back as a backsliding heifer. Now the Lord will feed them as a lamb in a large place. And he says, Ephraim, and he addresses the whole nation in a sense here. Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. Let him alone. Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. If a man is joined to his sin, we certainly do not need to pray that God will let him alone. You know, God has to work in the hearts and lives of people to change them from what they are by nature and by uh, sinful practices and sinful uh, uh, means and not, uh, doings and change them from the inside out. We've got all kinds of programs in the world today dealing with all the problems of the world today. And, and of course, they put uh, uh, preaching and Christianity and the Bible on the bottom of the list to do anything about it and should be at the top of the list because the only way you're going to change society is change the insides of people. And only God can do that. And see, we work at it the wrong direction, don't we? We get all the social programs and all this going and say, now this is going to make a difference. Crime? What good did the crime bill do to this fellow down the Texas Connection Cafe that the police had to shoot to defend himself? You see, they're still going to be that. I don't care what they do. Because men are wicked and sinful and, and, and they'll do that regardless of how many. And it's true we've got to do the best we can. I'm not saying we shouldn't have the sword to... to the Bible says that the uh, law enforcement uh, beareth not the sword in vain. And it's God-ordained. says he is a servant or minister of God for good. To execute judgment upon those that do evil. And we certainly need our law enforcement, don't we? And what would we do without it? We need it desperately. But just that alone is not the answer. We have to have some uh, higher changes, some better changes. And I'll still say that even 
uh, in that realm, only God can do that, that changing. Preachers can preach the word. Christians can witness and can testify and can uh, give out the truth of God's word. But it takes God to do some changing in the heart of an individual. I don't care what you do. You can just uh, high pressure them or, or uh, manipulate them or uh, get them to reform or get them to church, do all kinds of things. But unless God does something internally, there's very little accomplished. So, we get to this. He says uh, in verse uh, 16, I loathe it. I would not live always. Let me alone, for my days are vanity. In verse 17, What is man that thou shouldest magnify him, and that thou shouldest set thine heart upon him, and that thou shouldest visit him every morning and try him every moment? How long wilt thou not depart from me? Nor let me alone till I swallow down my spittle. I have sinned. What shall I do unto thee, O thou preserver of men? Why hast thou set me as a mark against thee, so that I am a burden to myself? Job's, Job's problem was himself. I know he went through a lot of suffering. But on the other hand, and he maintained his integrity before God, and he didn't curse God, but he complained so that he was getting to the place that he thought that really God was just specially marking him out on purpose to, to cause him all of his grief. And inside, Job had this uh, thought that he really was righteous completely. Now, when he faces God, he would say, I have seen what, what I do and what shall I do unto thee, O thou preserver of men. When he was facing his... Uh, Friends, especially Eliphaz, remember what he said, he would justify himself before them. In verse 21, And why dost thou not pardon my transgression and take away mine iniquity? You see, because of the outward circumstances, Job thought that God wouldn't forgive him. Job thinks God will not forgive him of his sins, whatever he feels inside. And you know, God had already testified, Job is a righteous man, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil, shuns evil. And yet Job, in the, when he thinks about himself before God, he thinks of how rotten he really is. And then he also miscon, uh, has a misconception that God is not forgiving. And you know, a lot of times we're that way. When, some, when trouble comes, we say, well, you know, I wonder if God... Is forgiving me of this or that or the other. God's always willing to forgive. Why dost thou not pardon my transgression and take away mine iniquity? For now I shall sleep in the dust, and thou shalt seek me in the morning, but I shall not be. In chapter 8, we find the voice of tradition, Bildad. Look at verse 1. Then answered Bildad the Shuhite and said, how long wilt thou speak these things? And how long shall the words of thy mouth be like a strong wind? He calls Job a windbag. He says, you're just going on and on. And Job, uh, this man, Bildad, is less sympathetic than Eliphaz. He starts right out on him, doesn't he? He says, uh, how long wilt thou speak these things? He gets right on to him and shows no sympathy from the start right on through. And he's the voice of tradition. 
in verse 3, he says, Doth God pervert judgment or doth the Almighty pervert justice? When God afflicted Job, he says he's justified in doing it. He's going to give his reasons for it in a minute. He says God does never pervert uh, judgment. God doesn't pervert judgment. And the Almighty does not pervert justice. But the thing he was using to apply to Job just happened not to apply to Job. You know? See, uh, what he was saying is true. God doesn't. Doth God pervert judgment? Well, certainly he doesn't. Or doth the Almighty pervert justice? No, God is just. Job, did, Job believed that. Job knew that God was just. He says, If thy children have sinned against him, and he cast them away for their transgression. <laughs> Look, he was saying, I know that your children were cut off by a terrible judgment. Remember, they knew when they came, these three friends, uh, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, they knew that Job had lost all of his possessions. When they heard the whole thing that came to Job, they knew that he had lost uh, his family, his sons and his daughters. And here he's saying, you know, I realize that God cut off your children by a terrible judgment because uh, of their sins. Well, that just happened not to be the case, did it? God cut them off, all right. God permitted the devil to do it. He permitted Job to be to go through these trials. Now look at verse. He says, If thy children have sinned against him, and he hath cast them away for their transgressions, if thou wouldest seek unto God betimes, in other words, you need to repent day and night, Job, look, and make thy supplication to the Almighty. He calls on, he insists that Job's troubles are evidence of his wickedness and that God, that if he would only turn to God, that God would forgive him and everything would be well. He's saying, Job, you need to repent turn to God. Have you ever had people when you had a little bit of a problem physically, mentally, or financially or something? Come to you now. Listen, here's what's wrong with you. You need to repent and turn to God. Have a little affliction bodily. They'll say, well, now, you know, it's all because you haven't repented and turned to God. See, we got it all figured out, haven't we? We got it all figured out. We can, we can put everybody in a certain category and say, this is why this happened. We need not be so, th- think we're so wise as to understand it. He says to Job, now, if thou wouldest seek unto God, verse 5, betimes, and make thy supplication to the Almighty, if thou wert pure and upright, surely now he would await for thee and make uh, the habitation of thy righteousness prosperous. In other words, Job, if you were what you claimed to be, all these troubles wouldn't have come upon you. Make thy habitation if your house had been as a temple of God, and if you had uh, worshipped God in your house, and if you had uh, kept His commandments and obeyed His word, you wouldn't be in this such a state of ruin that you're in today. See, if thou wert pure and upright, well, God said He was, surely now He would awake for thee and make the, the habitation of thy righteousness prosper. Though thy beginning was small, yet thy latter end... Uh, should greatly increase. 
Job, if you just repent and turn to God. Verse 5. And then he says in verse 8, and here's the voice of tradition. For inquire, I pray thee, of the former age, and prepare thyself to search out to the search of their fathers. He's talking about way back from the time beginning. In other words, find the answer to your problem in the former age. For we are but of yesterday. In other words, Bill Dad says we, we haven't even... With his wisdom, with his age, we are but of yesterday and know nothing because our days upon the earth as a shadow. Shall not they, that's the former age, teach thee and tell thee and utter words out of their heart? He's saying, Job, you find your answer in the voice of the former age. You look way back there and you'll find the answer to your problem. The voice of tradition, how it's come down to us today. And there's the answer to your problem. Shall not they teach thee and tell thee and utter out of their heart this former age that you inquire of? And when you search of their fathers and you find out what tradition holds, it says we don't know anything, we're just of yesterday. And we know nothing because our days are as a shadow. But the former age will teach you and tell you all about it, and utter out of their heart, you'll find your answer there. It's kind of like the woman of Samaria, remember? Woman to the well. She says, Our fathers worship God in this mountain, said to Jesus. You know, that's what we've heard. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain. And you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. The former age nor the present age was answered to her problem because Jesus said, the hours come and now is that the true worshiper will worship the Father, not in this mountain nor Jerusalem, but in spirit and in truth. He said, I'm going to bring you up to date on this. You know, the Lord did. So you don't have to look back to what your fathers did in that mountain. But he says, the true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Verse 11 says, can the rush, and by the way, the word here means the papyrus, that which they were probably writing even these words that we are reading upon. Can the rush grow up without mire? Can the flag grow without water? In other words, they need the, the uh, water to cause them both to grow. Whilst it is yet in its greenness and not cut down, it w- uh, and not cut down, it says it withered before any other herb. So are the paths of all that forget God. He says, Job, you must have forgotten God. You, God, you're like these. And, and the hypocrite's hope shall perish. He thinks Job is a hypocrite. You see that? Have you ever heard people accuse you of being a hypocrite? There's plenty of them out there that do that. They'll say there's too many hypocrites in the church. And usually they mean the preachers, don't they, brother? That's really what they mean. You know. uh, as well as someone they might want to point out as an example. And if they ever pick out anyone, they'll pick out the worst church member you ever had. One that doesn't attend, but occasionally. One that never gives his tithe. One that's worldly. One that, that talks about everybody in the church or something like that. They'll pick out somebody as an example. 
Thank the Lord we don't I don't believe we have any like that in this church. And I'm thankful we don't. But you know in large churches they have a little clique that's like that. Usually usually there's a whole bunch of them that tell the stories. Hearsay and gossip goes on all over. But the thing about it is, he accused Job of being a hypocrite. He openly declares him to be a hypocrite. So are the paths of all that forget God. He said, Job, you must have forgotten all about God. Job couldn't forget God in his situation. He knew something was going on. He didn't quite understand it, but he didn't forget God. He says, look at this in verse 14. Whose hopes shall be cut off and whose trust shall be a, a spider's web? You'll be, it'll just be cut off and come to nothing. He shall lean upon his house, but it shall not stand. He shall hold it fast, but it shall not endure. You ever seen the spider's web, you know, maybe cover from a, a barn rafter on down to something on the wall and be a huge thing and somebody come along with a rake or hoe and knock the whole thing down and it's all gone in a minute. I mean, it's destroyed. Take the broom and sweep it all down. He says, look, he shall lean upon his house, but it shall not stand. He shall hold it fast, but it shall not endure. Whose hope... Verse 14, shall be cut off and whose trust shall be a spider's web. Verse 16 says, He is green before the sun and his branch shooteth forth in his garden. His roots are wrapped around the heat and seeth the place of stones. That which is green before the sun and branch shooteth forth in his garden and when the sun hits it, when everything uh, is exposed to the elements, comes to naught, doesn't it? Look in verse uh, 18. If he destroy him from his place, then it shall deny him, saying, I have not seen thee. Behold, this is the joy of his way, and out of the earth shall others grow. Verse 20. Behold, God will not cast away a perfect man, neither will he help evildoers. If you were a perfect man, Job, God wouldn't have cast you away. He will not forsake the perfect man. He will not forsake his inheritance, will he? Behold, God will not cast away a perfect man. Psalm 94, let's see, verse 14, says this, For the Lord will not cast off his people, neither will he forsake his inheritance. I think it's the 37th Psalm where David says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I'd rather have God upholding me than me trying to uphold myself. And it says the Lord was not cast away or forsake his inheritance. He's going to stand by them. And he was going to stand by Job in spite of all these feelings. Look at verse uh, 21. Till he fill thy mouth with laughing and thy lips with rejoicing. They that hate thee shall be clothed with shame and... And the dwelling place of the wicked shall come to naught. You know what uh, Bildad says is true. But he applies it to, to Job unjustly. Bildad applies God's just dealings to Job. Instead of applying, applying them to, who, to whom it may concern. And... Uh, so he's applying all this to Job. He's, he's giving the Scripture out to him. I had a lady one time say, Brother Joyce, can't you trust God? says, looks like you people would learn to trust God for your health. Well, I do every day of my life. 
But you know, just because I have a backache once in a while or get a little problem here and there, and we all have trials and afflictions and uh, things happen to us, and we have to thank the Lord for it day by day when we recover. But just because you have an ache or a pain or a bodily affliction doesn't mean you're not trusting God. Now, a lot of people have come to the false conclusion that you're not. And I say false conclusion. Could it be any more affliction than Job was suffering? And yet Job was trusting God all the way through. He was trying to live the best kind of a life he could live. And he offered sacrifices for his sons and daughters. And he says it may be they've sinned against God with their, in their hearts. He, he was concerned about the very inmost being of his children. And yet he couldn't help the way things turned out. But you trust God and he'll see you through in spite of the criticisms of those uh, people that think they're so holy and righteous and good that they condemn you for any little fault and failure in your life. And that's what these people were doing to Job. They were, they were condemning him for things he couldn't help. And they were applying God's just dealings among men to Job himself and saying, This is your problem, Job. We've got it figured out. This is your problem. In verse uh, 1, chapter 9, it says, Then Job answered and said, I know it is so of a truth. In other words, I don't, I don't dispute God's justice. I don't dispute what you're saying. But how should a man be just with God? You know, Job knows that, that God, of God's justice. But he knows also that he's not guilty of all the things that, that uh, Eliphaz and Bildad have accused him of. He longs to be placed to, in God's hands and to plead his cause before God because even though God is holy, at least he's merciful and gracious and understanding. These fellows didn't understand. It says in verse 3, If he will contend with him, he cannot answer him one of a thousand. In other words, Job says, I can't vindicate myself before God. I know that. I'm not going to argue against him. He's overwhelmed with God's majesty and glory and God's power and God's wisdom. Look at verse uh, he says, He is wise in heart and mighty in strength. He, he's overwhelmed with the majesty of God. Who hath hardened himself against him and hath prospered? No one can harden himself against God, which removeth the mountains and they know not, which overturneth them in his anger. He thinks of God's knowledge and uh, his infinite knowledge, how he sees all things, how he searches out all things, how he knows all things. And he says, Which shaketh the earth. Out of her place, earthquakes, and the pillars thereof tremble. God can shake this whole world just like you take something in your hand and shake it. As in the twinkling of an eye, He can do it. He says, Which commandeth the sun, and it riseth not, and sealeth up the stars. He can uh, command the sun by an eclipse, by clouds or an eclipse. That it riseth not. Have you ever seen the, the day come and the morning be filled with clouds and say, well, the sun's not up this morning. It'll be 10 o'clock in the morning, 9 o'clock in the morning. You know, it's just dark. 
because God can can uh, put the clouds there and commandeth the sun that it rises. Not the sun is still the same. That means to, to those on the earth, it appears to not be there because it's covered and we can't see it. It goes through its natural course every day. And the earth goes through its natural movement every day. And sealeth up the stars, which alone spread out the heavens and treadeth upon the waves of the sea. He's speaking of God's majesty and mightiness, uh, which maketh Artarsus and Orion and Pleiades and the chambers of the south, which doeth great things past finding out, yea, and wonders without number, things that man cannot comprehend. Lo, he goeth by me, and I see him not. He passeth on also, but I perceive him not. Behold, he taketh away. Who can hinder him? Or, it says, who will say unto him, What doest thou? Who's asking God what he's doing? 